And for that, we are ever grateful and we thankful, Lord God. I just pray right now that we can allow your spirit, Lord God, to move upon us, removing every distraction. Uh, Lord God, no matter what it is, every thought that exalts itself against your knowledge, the knowledge of your will right now, Lord God, that our hearts can be open unto you to hear what thus saith the Lord. So right now, Lord God, speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, if you will, turn your Bibles to a passage of Scripture that is also familiar as Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Our text verse on today is verse 8. Malachi chapter 3. And Malachi is the last book of the uh, Old Testament. Uh, right before you get to the New Testament for those of you that may be searching right now. Amen. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. And this is certainly a passage of scripture that we all uh, should be or, or, or are familiar with. Um, and I'll, let me just start by saying this because there's many that have uh, ministered this passage of scripture in an effort to uh, compel the people to pay their tithes in there. I just want to uh, let you know, and I'll say it up front, first and foremost, uh, that this, God wants to give us an understanding uh, based on what is truth and what his word says and what it was intended to be, because many of us didn't heard this scripture uh, and we didn't heard it preached in many different ways, but God wants to reveal truth on today. Okay? Amen? And so the, the text verse says, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? And let me just stop right there because man here is a reference to how God, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and God created man, he created, the Bible says that he created man and that is a reference to mankind and he created mankind in his image. Why that's important is because mankind speaks of male and female. The Bible says that God created male and female and then later he formed Adam from the dust of the ground and he also then made Eve from her uh, from his rib. But when he created man, he created mankind and it was uh, just like everything else. When he created the heavens and the earth, what did God do? He spoke it into existence. So when God created man, he spoke man into existence even though he made Adam from the uh, dirt, dust of the ground at some point later. All right, that ain't the message. But I just want you to get understanding because when he says, will a man rob God, he's talking about both male and female. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And again, so now uh, have that been out there, it says, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. That's verse 8. And I'm going to stop right there because here again, let me lay the foundation. See, somebody is shaking in their boots and said, oh, here's the man. 
uh, he finna give it to us about tithes and offerings. Well, I ain't finna give you anything, but God is finna speak to our hearts. It ain't no doubt about that. But the beautiful thing about God speaking to our hearts as opposed to I'm giving you anything is that God loves us with an everlasting love. So when God speaks, he brings forth truth. And not only truth, he brings forth understanding, my friend. And I will say this, that in, this has been five and a half years since we've been here. And this ministry has been birthed. And this is the first time. Somebody say the first time. This is the first time that God has compelled uh, me to speak on this topic. And I do know that there's a reason why this is the first time after five and a half years almost. The reason is, is God has a reason that, that it is. And, and the reason that God has, we will speak in more detail about, but just to give it to you plain and simple, simple is that because God's, uh, the reason why it's been five and a half years is because God wants to speak to us from context and he wants to give us truth and understanding. And in order for him to speak to us from context and to give us truth and understanding, there was something else that he needed to set as the foundation that we are rooted and grounded in the fact that God loves us and in the fact of the commandment that he gave us was to love, that this is about love. And you'll understand that just a little bit more clearly. So here, let us lay the groundwork. As God, yes, he gave, uh, he spoke these words to who? Who? Oh, that's a good question because that's what we need to understand first and foremost in there because if in order for us to walk, go on this journey, we need to understand who God was speaking to. And at this time, God uh, was speaking to in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, he was speaking to the, the nation of Israel. He was speaking to his people, the nation of Israel. Hear what thus saith the Lord. And understand this. So let me just lay a little background. Here the prophet, uh, the, and he used the prophet Malachi to do that. A couple things that, that, that we need to understand is that Malachi was uh, the, old, the, the last prophet of the Old Testament that God used to speak to his people. If you imagine the prophetic books of the Old Testament as personal letters from God to his people, the letter known as Malachi was the last to arrive in the, uh, the children or the nation of Israel's mailbox. It was the last one to arrive for a long, long time. Many weary and empty years would pass as though uh, to those who loved and, and revered the Lord when they went to their mailbox again and again only to find it empty. All it would say or would be all, matter of fact, it would be over 400 years then that they would be visiting their mailbox looking for a letter from the Lord with nothing. So here what the, what the Spirit of the Lord is, is giving us understanding to is that Malachi was the last prophet that God used before he went into a 400-year silence. I don't know if I've mispronounced that before, but it was 400 years before the people or the, uh, of Israel and, and the children of God would hear from the Lord again. And the next one that they would hear uh, from God in and through 
Some of us know that that was a, a hairy young man that was crying out in the wilderness, making, uh, saying, make straight the way of the Lord, better known as John the Baptist. And you see that in John chapter 1. But between that period, it was over 400 years. Malachi, the prophet, was the last prophet, like I said, speaking unto God's people until this young man came along. Malachi's very name means my messenger in Hebrew. And it appears on the scene almost a century after the prophet Haggai and Zacharias. Here's the key. The key that we got to understand is that with the time of Malachi came after the exile, the nation of Israel and the children of Israel had been exiled from Babylon. And, and, and what this is really referred to as a generation called the post-exile generation. And that post-exile generation means that these, this was the nation of Israel, God's people, after the, uh, the exile from Babylon up to the point of 1 AD, up to the point where Jesus came. Understand this. During this period of time, that the nation of Israel, those that God is specifically writing this prophecy to, they had went, their state was one, uh, was not like even the state of the nation of Israel from the beginning, you know, their forefathers. They love God. Yes, they love God. And it came at a, at a place where, you know, after, if you remember after the, the exile of Babylon, then the temple was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt, but it wasn't in the same fashion. The, it didn't have the majesty or, or, or it was much smaller than the original temple. Come on, somebody. And, then, and, and it, with it being rebuilt, and not only was it rebuilt, but then the walls, there was a wall put up. And so these people, this generation of God's people, unlike the fathers before, they would they were living at a time that they were actually, they had returned from uh, the return of Babylon to Jerusalem restored was a time that was restored under Ezra and Nehemiah. God's people now had a glimmer uh, of the new temple and a solid wall on the outward appearance of it. But their spirit, their spiritual reality was, was much different. Malachi was Israel's last hope but uh, her last chance to be ready for the Messiah God had promised. Because many of Malachi's concerns uh, parallel this, the, the description of Nehemiah, and it talks about that in Nehemiah. It is believed that Malachi's ministry coincided with Nehemiah's. During that last time, much had been accomplished outwardly. The walls around the city, like I said, and the temple had been rebuilt though it was much smaller on a smaller scale. This was around 586 B.C. Theoretically in Jerusalem, theoretically Jerusalem was now protected spiritually by God's presence in the temple and physically by the walls that was built around it. But hear this, but there was a, a clink or a chink in his armor. The sin and spiritual apathy of the people 
See, they had a problem. God had did the restoration of the temple. He had built the walls, but the, there was a, a, a small problem that was going on with the children of Israel and the nation of Israel, and that was the sin, one thing. But not only sin, there was a sense of apathy, a sense of complacency with the people of God and them serving God. Yes, they would show up at the temple. They would do the work of the temple. They would observe the Sabbath day. But they had a spirit of apathy and a spirit of just going through the motions. Look at this picture, my friends. Malachi enumerated the many ways that the people of Israel had broken the covenant with God. They had did it in mixed marriaging, marrying, marrying the, the pagans, neighbors, neglecting to give God his tithes and, and their, of their income. They also had be, uh, was bringing the worst of the flock for sacrifices. They had began to flagrantly divorce their, their spouses and marry into these, the, the pagans around. What, what's more, the, the, here's the thing, the priests had become corrupt serving as, stum uh, as a stumbling block for the people rather than a spiritual leader in God. See, this is the picture that God was, uh, that he was speaking to in there, that what the picture was that, that the nation of Israel and not just the people themselves, but even the priests, they had began to divorce their original wives. And yeah, let me serve you notice because somebody is mixed up in the head right now because they used to, in modern day times, priests uh, generally is not married. Yeah, but in this time and in the beginning of time, the, it was the nation or the tribe of Levi, a nation of people that was chosen to be the priests for the, uh, for, for the whole tribe or the whole nation of Israel. So yes, these men were married and they were producing a family, and they were to take care of family, but what was happening now in this later part, right before the four year, 400 years that I talked about, this is the latter part that, the, that we know about the nation of Israel before the New Testament starts, before the coming of Christ Jesus. And here the picture is, is that they, the church, God's chosen people, understand this, when he says, will a man rob God, he wasn't talking to uh, just anybody. He was talking to his people. He was talking to the nation of Israel. He wasn't talking to the Edomites. Because how could they rob God? Because they didn't belong to God like that. Do you understand? And I say that because all of what is uh, this picture that we're looking at at Malachi is a picture. If, we, if you look closely, you'll see some similarities, my friend, because this is much of what the, the picture of the modern day church look like. A church that is full, a body that is full of apathy. A body that, yeah, that, is, that will come to church, will do some things, will serve some, in some ways, but there's much in our heart. For the Lord that is filled with apathy, my friend. And I ain't talking about what you think. I'm talking about what God feels and what God sees. Because these people here, because they were the chosen people, because they, uh, they, they went to the temple, they kept it clean, they did all of these things, and yes, they was given. So do you think that for one minute that it, the way that they thought 
that they weren't uh, in the right place, doing the right things. Matter of fact, when they looked at themselves and then they looked at the Edomites and all of these other tribes around them that didn't know their God, and, and they compared themselves to them, boy, they was in good shape. And it's much of what the problem is in the church today, my friends. If we ain't careful, we'll compare ourselves to people that, are, that don't even belong to God and, and, and think that we in good shape. So this is not about what they thought. This is about what God felt and what God seen. And this is huge. Malachi's uh, entire prophecy is written in a, in a form or a dialogue between God and the people. And you will kind of see this as you walk through it. It's six different conversations that he had in, throughout the book of Malachi. And, and in each one of the conversations, it was God saying something. It was there. Uh, thought, yo, quote, reply. It really wasn't even a reply. It was th them just thinking, where, uh, and they was thinking about, well, God, he, he says, will a man rob God? And, and, and they thought, well, how did we rob you? That was their thought. And then he had, and then it was the conclusion of the matter where he had to tell them how you have robbed me. Because in their mind, in their heart, in, the, uh, in their soul, as far as they was concerned, we robbed you, we've been given. Can you see the picture if we ain't careful even today? See, this message goes way beyond just uh, what me or anybody taking the message of will a man rob God and how did you rob him out of tithes and offers and, and make it about me or this church or anything else? This is bigger than that, my friend. God is appealing to our hearts and he's appealing our, to our hearts because he's showing us a picture of, a, of his church, his people that was, well, that in the problem that he had with them, it wasn't because they didn't show up. It wasn't because they wasn't given something. It was because they were not given what he desired they, and they weren't giving it from the heart. They did not have the right motivation. The motivation in the tent of their heart was all mixed up. And the reason why it was all messed up because it was based on them. It was messed up because it was based on them. And this is huge. So God here, what he wants to show us is the practical comparison between his people then and his church right now and the state of his church right now. The state of his church right now. And remember I had said to you there was a reason why it's been five and a half years and God has never had me ever speak on giving or tithing or anything remotely close to that. It was because God, what God wanted to root and ground this church in first and foremost is a love for him based on his commandment and a love for one another based on the commandment that he's given us. That we have to know him by his love. Because love, because this is about matters in the intent of our heart is where the real bottom line is and when we come into this relationship and for those of you that's been here since the beginning you know that that's all that God has taught us he's continued to teach us and root us and grind us or uh, ground us in an understanding that our relationship with him it ain't based on nothing but his love, first and foremost, that we love him because he first loved us and that we understand what that means. And that it's born out of not a motivation 
for us to gain anything, but it's born out of a knowing who God is and in knowing who God is, being drawn unto him for nothing but one thing and one thing only because of who he is. Because of who he is. We're talking about the great I am, the creator of all things. See, the forefathers of the, the, of the children of Israel, the patriarchs, uh, all the way from Abraham and moving forward. See, Abraham had a real relationship with God. And his relationship with God and his motivation to even, and he was the original one that even began tithing uh, under the old covenant. And that was with, the, with uh, King uh, Mel, Mel uh, Chesed, well, you know his name, Mel, Mel, Mel. King Mel Mel. You know who I'm talking about. Come on, somebody. And the thing about it, but even in that, it, his motivation to, to, to give unto King Mel was not because uh, for, for what he was looking for, for, to get from God. It was born out of his love and his relationship with God. He knew God. And that in itself gave him the confidence to be able to give of his best. And here what we see all the way down, generations down the road, right before Christ is getting ready to come, the generation that is representing the, the nation of Israel in the world today is far from that which it started out to be. And we know the story throughout the whole history of them. They were up and down. But here it's even worse than that because more than just being up and down, they're in a place of total complacency. And complacency and apathy is a place that one don't recognize who they are. It's one of deceit because it's one that we have a mindset and a thought of, of how we stand in the presence of God and we deceive, my friends. See, Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And that church that he's coming back for is one that, that has to know who it is. And I said this, and God has spoken this to us earlier, that you know, the, the, the church... Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the New Testament church. What it, uh, its purpose in heaven is to be the, pri the bride of Christ. The purpose of the church in heaven is to be the bride of Christ. The purpose of the church in the earth is to be the vessel of the, uh, God's plan of salvation. It's to be the vessel of God's plan of salvation. So you say, how do all of this fit into will a, red, uh, a man rob God? I'll, uh, I'll tell you this. God has called his people, the, 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 the nation of Israel. And he addressed them in areas of faith and practice that are applicable to the contemporary Christian church, us today. As it was for what I said earlier, the post uh, the post-excellent uh, Israelite, which is this generation of people. One, he's called them to offer you know, to the Lord. Two, he's called them, you know, what we see is their offering to the Lord was messed up. Two, we see that their marriage, they went through marriages and divorces you know, for the wrong reasons. Three, we see that fi their financial giving in the in leadership and the in uh, living a light uh, uh, living a life 
in the, excuse me, let me say it like this. Their financial giving was the problem. And fourth, their leadership, the, even the priest himself, and living in light of the coming day of the Lord. Do you know what the coming day of the Lord is? We talked about that even on last week. The coming day of the Lord is when, you know, it's going to come in three shape, three forms. One is going to come before the judgment seat of Christ for those of us that are believers. Two is going to come, uh, the Bible, the, oh, the New Testament refers to is the, the judgment of the nations. That's the, that's the day of the Lord for them. And three is going to come before the, the great white throne judgment, and that is a judgment uh, that's damning people that didn't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to the eternal fires. But for this nation of Israel, they're going to go through what they call the judgment of the nations. And their judgment ain't going to be based on that they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because Jesus wasn't there yet. They're going to have a particular judgment that God has already set in place for. And this day of the Lord that he make reference to, and as the, he used the prophet Malachi to speak to the, the people and to warn them of their, the, the sin that there was in their life, just how they were living. And really what it boils down to, the, all of these things boil down to one thing in particular. And it was, they had began to, all of these things, the combination of the four things that I'm even talking about is summed up in one thing, and that was worldliness. Worldliness. You see the parallel? Because that's the same problem that the church has today, my friend. Much of the sin that characterized this, this generation in, the, uh, in Jerusalem falls under the heading worldliness, which means succumbing to the temptation to live like those who are not or have no covenant obligation to God. I'm going to say that again. Worldliness is succumbing to the temptations to live like those who have no covenant obligation to God. So this nation of Israel, they begin to uh, succumb to the temptation of living like the Edomites and all of these other people that had no covenant relationship or obligation to God. So what does that speak to us today? That we, the church, see, and this is uh, what I said from the beginning. So that which God wrote, he wasn't talking uh, about who will rob him being anybody. No, he was talking to a specific people. And in that time, he was talking to the nation of Israel. In our time, he's talking to who? The church. So no, he ain't talking to no atheist or non-believer. They don't even fit in this category, my friend. But the problem is, is that we come and we, we succumb, the church is beginning to succumb to the temptation to live like those that has no covenant obligation to God. We have a covenant obligation because we have uh, professed Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have accepted the seal for the day of redemption, the Holy Spirit. We have accepted our reservation in eternity that God is faithful enough that he ain't going to change. See, that's what you took. So that, and that, that is the, the covenant, the new covenant. And the new covenant, then the, only one thing that he commanded of us, is, and that was to, walk, to uh, love one another as he has loved us. 
Because love then does what? It fulfills all of the law. And see, not only does it fulfill the law, but it, 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 it locks itself into uh, following Christ, being led by the Spirit of God. And this is the reason why will a man rob God, the context, the words are the same, but the context is totally different because he was talking to a nation then that did not have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them and living on the inside of them. So there was rules and regulations, and the regulations were that you're supposed to give a 10%. And that when you brought your offerings, that it should not be uh, blemished lambs and, and blemished and messed up goats and sick animals and all of these things. And that's exactly what was happening during this period of time, my friends. They were offering God the worst that they had. And not only the worst, here what thus saith the Lord, they were offering God not only the worst of what they had, but they was offering God the last of what they had. And see, and we, the church now, you see the parallels, there's so many of them. And if we ain't careful, then that's exactly what we're doing. We're offering God the, the sick, the last of what we have, the worst of what we have. When the truth of the matter, it all belongs to him anyway. There's a problem. And the problem, is, uh, it didn't start with uh, them just ending up giving God the last. No, it started with a temptation to live like those that had no covenant with God. Whether it was wearying God with unacceptable, whether they were wearying God with unacceptable offerings or disregarding marriage vows that he had given them, the Israelites were not living like a covenant people. Period. Sounds familiar? Because the church is not living like a covenant people. See, and this ain't just talking about now you, we can get to where the rubber meets the road. Because while this is talking about money, but this ain't just talking about money. Because God, what they were robbing God of was not just the money. They was robbing God of, of devotion. They was robbing God of his time. They was robbing God because they, they offered him a sacrifice and it wasn't an acceptable sacrifice, meaning the service that they was giving him was garbage. And why was it garbage? It was garbage because they was giving him what they wanted to give him, not what he wanted. My question to you today is, are you giving God what you want to give him or are you giving him what he wants, even in your service? See, because if you're not giving him what he wants, then you're robbing God. And this is the reason why he had to teach us how to be in relationship with him and, and his love and all of that first. Because otherwise we would have made it totally about money and we would have missed the boat. So even if we could give our money, we would still not give our time. And even if we gave a little bit of time, it would be from a, a heart or a wrong motivation in our hearts because we wouldn't have checked our hearts. And the truth of the matter, my friends, is, is, is simple. The truth of the matter is, is that there's coming a day that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This ties into last week's message because the message said that when we stand before him, we're not going to be standing before him. See, and this is the good news. This is the difference. This is the difference in the covenant. And this is why God can deal with us differently 
And when I say deal with us differently, my friends, it ain't like we in better shape. So what I'm saying to you is this. They had, the, the problem, the, 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 the nation of Israel and the people at that time, they had the a responsibility of keeping the law, which you already know is impossible. So they had to give the sacrifices and all of these different things, and it was a mess. But God always had a plan of redemption that he was bringing forth that he had already planned for. And we know that because we live under that experience right now. But the difference is here is my friend is this, is that while they had to do all of these things, God has satisfied himself for the sins of mankind through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. So that when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ uh, as a believer, you're not standing before him uh, on a judgment like the great white throne judgment to give an account of sin. What you're going to stand for before him is, is give an account of your service and did you hear what God said and did you do what he told you to do, my friends? And everything that God is leading, see, this makes our, uh, they had excuses, we don't. See, while you, you, know, you don't be fooled by the fact that now it's different. No, you have, we have an obligation, my friend, because we have the spirit of the living God that's sent from above to live on the inside of us, we, to lead and guide us into all truths. So we even have a guide, my friends. And not only do, do we have a guide, but we don't have to worry from one year or one day to the next about our sin because he's already taken care of that through the blood of the lamb. And see, even in that itself, if you know the, the real essence of that, it demonstrates the love of God that was in Christ Jesus. That right there in itself is life-changing, my friends. That right there in of itself, no, it's not giving us a license to sin or to continue in sin. No, it's giving you a true light of the love that God has for you that he would remove every transgression far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. Never to bring it before you no more. And that right there would bring, draw you into a love relationship like never before. That is life changing. How can we continue down the same roads? And now that we are here today, with the understanding and knowing that there's a day coming, and that that day that's coming is referred to as the day of the Lord here. Judgment day, whatever you want to call it. Each and every one of us is going to stand before that day. And that day, my friend, guess what? It's closer today than it was even yesterday. And it's coming. And we're in light with the understanding of what God has done for us. How he's moved us out of the darkness into Christ, into the marvelous light. And we have a home now. We talked about this on Thursday night, that now we can, and not only do we have a home, but he's filled us with his spirit that we can not only know where we live, but we can begin to walk in the spirit from where we live at. Hallelujah. How is it that we can be of any apathy in the body of Christ? How can we be, how could it be that God being grieved by that which he's looking down upon? How could God be robbed by his own people? Do you know what rob means? To seize or to carry from, any, uh, from anything with violence 
and with a felonious intent. I'm going to say that again. To seize and carry from anything, mean a person, a car, or whatnot, by violence and with felonious intent. Do you know the root word for, for felonious? Felony. So if you didn't understand felonious, you don't show understand felony, okay? It's not good. A bad intent, a felony intent. It also means to strip unlawfully, to take away by oppressing or violence. In loose sense, it means to steal and to take privately what without permission from the owner. And straightforward biblically, it means to withhold what is due to God. So this ain't just talking about, it is including money, but it don't, for, and for us in particular, it's, it's more about a relationship in us taking and withholding from God our time, withholding from God the right intentions of our heart because we don't know, uh, we say that we love him because he first loved us. But we're not walking in that. And the reason why we're not walking in that because we have a problem with our flesh. Hear me. And this is a big deal. So, yeah, we didn't hurt this. Will a man rob God many times before? But what God is wanting to speak to us is from the real root of the truth. And the root of the truth, again, is that we ain't much different or any different from this last messed up generation of the, uh, of the, of the children of Israel. They had grown into this place, man, uh, that they probably was worse than, the, the, than, than, than ever before. Because they had been rescued and uh, exiled out of Babylon. They had been given back the temple. They had even a wall uh, uh, for personal and, and physical protection. So they felt secure. God had did all of this. But yet, the only thing that they would offer unto him was the least, the worst, and the last. The least of their time the worst of their animals in sacrifice and the last, not the first of their increase or their income. And it's the picture, the very picture that we see with the people of God today. The difference is that there's uh, a huge difference because between the end of them people or the end of that covenant and the, and the, and the, the new covenant is, 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 is something that's very precious. And that is the life given. That is that God so loved the world, even in their messed up state, that he gave his only begotten son. See, he sent forth his son John chapter 17 talks about, uh, you know, that Jesus himself, even in the garden, prayed for the, those uh, of his disciples then and what they were going to go through. And then even us as future believers that we would know or believe through their words that he was the one whom God sent. Hear me. 
So this is huge what is happening in between. And not only yo, did he die, but he was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father. And then not only did, was he raised from the dead, but even when he died, he, the Bible says that he died while you was yet sinners. And you means me. So that includes me. I ain't leaving myself out. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God raised him from the dead to the, his glory. And we know that the resurrection then is the sign that God was satisfied for the, the, the price that was paid that will redeem, that offer redemption to every mankind. And that he didn't have to pay the price himself. That the price of the uh, blood of Christ Jesus has paid the price for all the sins of every man. All he has to do, let him come. Will he come? And accept whom Jesus, I mean, whom God has sent, the Son. That is huge. A lot that didn't happen in between that time and this time. But yet the story is the same. Or the picture seems to be uh, the same. We see a church that is uh, bound by the uh, a, a succumbing, a worldly desire, the one that is succumbing to wanting uh, to live like those that don't have an obligation because they don't have a covenant with God. A desire to live like the world. So what has happened is we've left cracks in the doors. The door has not been completely shut. Go back a couple uh, chapters to Philipp I mean uh, to Malachi chapter one, verse six. <laughs> Malachi, the same we same place, but uh, chapter one, verse six, it says, a, "A son's honor, a son honors his father, and a servant his master." If then I am the father, where is my honor? Where is my reverence? Saith the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name, you say, in what way have we despised your name? You've offered food defiled on my altar, but say, in what way? Have we defiled your name? The table of the Lord is contemptible, is what you said. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Then he tells them, offer it up to your governors. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept your favorable offering, saith the Lord of hosts? See, they was giving God what they wouldn't even give to the, to the, to the president. See, if the president was coming to visit your house, would you show him more honor than you showing God? Think about it. Because if the president was coming over uh, in the form of a real man, then some of us, we'd lay out the best, the, the best this and the best that. 
may not even be the president, maybe just the governor of California, maybe just the councilman in your city. We'd offer them more favorable things than we do to God. Is this not an abomination to the Lord? See, rather than giving the best of their flock to God, the people gave leftovers. These spiritual pretenders would be better off not even coming to the uh, place of worship and offer none, any of that. When people give less than their best, they uh, deceive themselves by thinking he will blindly accept their token offering. Still, God cannot be robbed of uh, his great name or his authority as king, the great king. See, while we think we're robbing God, we ain't robbing God, we're robbing ourselves. Did you know that? It's not God that we robbing, my friends. We robbing ourselves. When we do not honor God with our lives, now it's speaking to us in our time. When they didn't honor him with their life, their bodies, their possessions, severe spiritual and sometimes even material and physical consequences resulted. And the fact that Jesus has died on that cross and God is who he is and, and faithful as he is, then he's not going to change his mind about what he's done because how we've been robbing him and yet really robbing ourselves. This is the good news and this is the part, this is the reason why he had to teach us of his love first. See, because this would be a devastating word if you don't know the love of God. It will put you into a, a depression if you really believe in him that, that, may, that will last you for the rest of your days. But the good news is that he's been teaching us about his love. And so, and we've been, we rooted and grounded in, in that. So we know that God loves us with an everlasting love. We know that uh, just like we sung the song, you know, that uh, falling in love with him is the best thing that you could have ever done, first and foremost. And we know that his love is more than unconditional. That, that don't even do it justice. But his love comes from him and it ain't based on you. That's what makes it unconditional. It ain't the unconditional that we talking about, you know, that we use with one another in, in, in our modern day times and in the English language, you know, because our love comes with conditions. But this love, what it means if we, if unconditional, if, we, if that's the best word we can describe, then understand that this, that God loves you from himself and it ain't based on you. So ain't you, you don't have nothing to do with it except that you're the object of his love. So whether you marred, messed up, or this, that, or whatever, that don't matter. What an awesome God we serve. And see, in understanding that, as God is speaking to us, and he's saying the same thing that he said to them, but it's from a different place. Will a man rob God? God said is, will you change your intent of your heart and understand who I am that you may be in right relationship with, with me for who, and who I am and not who you think I am? Because when you think that I'm something, then guess what? You know, what, what it boils down to is that we'll begin to complain just like they did. That serving him do not produce 
the, uh, the promised results. It'll leave us at a state of mind that, that's serving God. See, when we have the wrong mindset, then serving, when we serve him a little bit and it don't work out like we think it was, then it gives us a mindset that is serving God just like they did, you know, that it didn't produce the, uh, the results that was promised. What, the, what, the, what they are unaware of, and, and we are also, is that the motivations that were, was the problem. It wasn't the results the problem. The motivation of the heart was the problem. Serving for one's own profit is drudgery or useless. Serving for one's own profit is drudgery or useless, my friends. And not only is it useless, you'll quickly give up. This is the state where much of the body of Christ is. Because when we don't see that God is doing what we want him to do, because it's based on, because we're really doing it for our own benefit. And not because we love him. So you see where the love has to, had to be rooted and grounded and set in place first, my friend. An understanding of how much he loves us, that we may be drawn into this place of loving him. And so this is the reason why when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and anywhere in the New Testament when God used the, the, these under our covenant, he begins to minister to us specifically when it comes to, to giving that we give as we purpose in our heart. How can you purpose in your heart? The only way you can purpose in your heart or the way that he set it up for you to purpose in your heart, meaning that you can look at your heart and he'll tell you what to give. But you have to have that right love relationship first. You have to right, have the right understanding. See, because from that place with the right understanding, then you will really be able to take on to what he said in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6. Then it's going to take to heart to what, what, what the real root of all of this is. See, because now it's not based on the old covenant of giving uh, a, a percentage, you know, and that's it. And then an offering on top of that, but you, you set in stone. See, because some of us even set in stone at a tithe, which is 10%, would be too much right now. But for some of us, a uh, set in stone, a tithe would be way too less for right now. But we don't, our, our, our relationship with God is not based off of some set in stone. It's based off a personal relationship that you can hear me because you know that I love you and because you love me. And because this, this has been set now under the new covenant that your desire to serve me and to walk with me is because of my love for you. And because of our relationship, not because out of some obligation or out of your own uh, uh, self-will to, to, to get a profit. Because you heard what they said, will a man rob God? And then it goes on to say that, boy, if you do, you curse. But if you don't, then you blessed. And what he'll do, he'll pour out this and he'll pour out that. And we've used that to appeal to people's emotions. To feed uh, ourselves, not to, 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 to build the kingdom of God. See, in this relationship with God and how he can now, if you're walking in this relationship with him, how he can begin to uh, give you and speak to you and place in your heart that which you should look for, which is called purposed in there, that which you can get out of your own heart in order to give 
what he uh, is doing is this. And what he has done is this, that now he can put in there because his motivation for all that he puts in you, 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 and me, and every one of us as the body of Christ, his motivation for doing it is one thing and one thing only. It is to build the kingdom of God. See, when man put onus on you to give this and give that, then it ain't, to, it ain't always to build the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's to build their building or line their pockets. So then it'll be an onus. And I better put you under the law for that because I can't trust putting you under the love covenant with God that God can speak to you because then I'm out of control if that's my motivation. I can't trust God like that. I can tr I, I'd much rather just put the onus on the 10% then at least I can calculate what, I, what I'm going to get. See, but when we don't succumb to this worldly or this, this, this uh, desire to live like those that don't have a covenant with God, because we do have a covenant with God. And our covenant with God will tell us that if you sp uh, sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity. See, for God loves a chill forgiver. And that's the point. See, because when you're in the relationship of what God loves, then you want to feel God's love and you want to you know what God loves. And what he loves is a cheerful giver. And we have a responsibility to give, yes, my friends. It ain't no ifs, ands, buts about it. But now, can you, are you free? You can, can you feel the chains being loosed off of you? And the loosing of the chains is, is, not, uh, is, is for one purpose and one purpose only. See, when God removes chains, see, man removes chains and he'll put you on probation. So you're still uh, under watch. See, but when God moves chains, he, he looses you to do what? To go for free. He sets you free, and the freedom that he sets you is, is the freedom to follow him. So as he's unlocked us from the bondage of, of, of some percentage, specifically, to give unto him, that you ain't doing anyway, He's setting you free to, to allow him to speak to your heart and in the relationships where so then now you can give from the abundance and cheerfully out of your heart. And for some of, the, of us, that means that we're going to give more. For some of us, we, that means that we ain't going to be stressed about not giving our rent money because he said pay the rent. You're going to be free. But when God does it, see, he make every... If we do what God says do, despite, no matter what, all you got to do is focus on what he said do and do it joyfully and cheerfully and consistently. And then he makes everything right. See, he knows what, what he needs for the kingdom, for what he's trying to build in the kingdom. 
He knows what he needs even for this place because all of these cameras is now set up for, for stuff to go across. Uh, it's Africa now. And he knows what he's doing. So he knows what the need. So it only takes us to listen and to hear what God has placed in our heart so we can purpose what God has placed in our heart to give. And to be able to be freely to do that. But the doing it is it's not doing it out of some obligation. It's doing it because we know that we are pouring into the kingdom of God, which is to the, the, what God is working right now. And what he's working right now is the plan of redemption. It's God is working just like he saved you. He's working all of this stuff that somebody else can hear the gospel. Somebody else can hear the truth and be set free to walk in it. To walk it. This is huge. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have insufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. You see, when we lose control and let God gain control, then we can have abundance for every good work. Because he, because what, 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 what we've been doing is deceiving ourselves. So we've been given to not good works and for wrong motivations. So our seed has not returned nothing in many situations. We've been given it even the begrudgingly and, 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 and sparingly and scared and all of these different things because we weren't able to give freely and cheerfully. And it did not profit anything. Not only did it not bring you a return, it didn't profit, the, the, it didn't do nothing of, uh, for, uh, for every good work. And see, every good work here means it's just what God is doing. He's working everything good for the plan of God, the uh, plan of redemption, the plan of salvation. He's working everything. That's what the kingdom of God is about, is working the plan of salvation while the gates of heaven is still open, my friends. And that's the only purpose under the sun that comes down from heaven. So everything and anything that God does is, 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 is pointed in that direction. So will he use food ministries? Will he use deliverance ministries? Yes, but it ain't about the deliverance. It's not about the food that he's given. It's about them being delivered so they can come to him. It's about them being fed so they can have an ear to hear what God, what thus saith the Lord, where he's saying, I love you, come to me. All you are burdened and heavy laden, so I can give you rest. We missing the boat because we getting caught up in the, the, the avenue that he's having us take and we ain't never getting to the destination. He's setting us free. We free. And that freedom it's just like you said, not to use it as a cloak or advice. No, but to use it for what it's intended to be used for. And that is where your joy and peace come from. See, when we use the freedom that God has given us and the liberty that he's given us to walk in the spirit, boy, it brings forth a fruit of joy, love, peace, and all of the fruits of the spirit. 
All of them. It sets us, man, in the right place with them. And it changes everything. So today my prayer for each and every one of us is that we are set free in the name of Jesus. Free to, to do what he's calling us to do with the heart that he's calling us to do it with. In our lives, some acts of disobedience and unconfessed sin grieves the Holy Spirit and leads us to loss of fellowship with Christ. We may continue to go through the motions of faith, showing up in church and saying the right words, but before long, pessimism, negativism, sarcasm slips into our attitudes and speech. When the Lord says, I love you, we reply, oh, really? Thankful, thankfully, as it is in the book of Malachi, God leaves the door wide open for our change of heart. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. It's time for us to return to him with the right heart set and the mindset that he's called us to, my friends. Because otherwise we live, leave that danger. See, when, the, when the, the spirit of the world creeps in on us, then you know, it, it opens the door just very slightly to that negativeness, to that even sarcasm with the Lord. That when he shows you that he loves you, then you know, our, uh, the first thing that pops in my mind, really, really? My mama died. My dog died. I lost my job. We start looking at all the things that, that uh, we actually, you know, because we weren't free, so we actually, you know, that we did. That we fed into because we didn't have the right mindset anyway, but we'll call that, we'll say, Really? We'll blame it on God in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Because we set our own selves up. Not so, my friend. Today, the God that loves you says, understand this, that I am able to, to provide every one of your needs. I am the one that is able to do in abundance and work through you and, and give you all sufficiency. But it has to be, I can do that only one way. And that is my way, God says. And that way requires us to trust in the Lord. To lean not on our own understanding. But in all of our ways acknowledge him. As he will. Somebody say he will. He will. Direct our path. He already has it set. We just don't know it. He has it said. Have you ever thought about it? He says that he'll, he will direct our path. And, and, we, and, and, and some of us even ultimately know that he already orchestrated the path. But it, see, and that's probably why he, when he says that, that he'll be a lamp unto our feet. Oh, I'm sorry, till, when he says that he'll be a light unto our pathway. That's probably why he has to put a lamp on our feet. Because we don't know that he's already orchestrated the path, so we need not only a light on the path, we need a lamp on our feet. Not only do we need to see the pathway, we need to see our feet. Is my feet actually moving? Wow. 
This is the God that we serve. He loves us that much that he'll put a lamp on your feet, doggone it. He said, I already know that you ain't going to just trust the light because you can't see your feet, so you'll be scared to scale. Let me put a, a lamp on your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we magnify and we glorify your precious name. We thank you. Hallelujah. For your everlasting love. The love that will take us into all eternity, Lord God. The love that will never change. For you are a God that will not change. As you told the people, the nation of Israel, by the prophet Malachi, that you are a God that does not change. So you still speak to your church and your people today that I am the first and last, that I am the Alpha and the Omega, that I am the beginning and the end, and that I am the God that will not change. And we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God that as you have satisfied your righteous demands in the finished work of Christ Jesus, Lord God, that we don't have to do it or manage it ourselves, but that we can receive it as we have by faith and allow you to wash us in the blood of the Lamb and I'll even allow you to put a seal on it. Thank you for your seal that keeps us just as you put the walls around Jerusalem for in the temple for your people, Lord God, you have put us a seal around us and, and, and sealed us for the day of redemption. Hallelujah. Thank you, oh God. And as we gain that understanding, it can't help but to show and shine a light on your love for us, Lord God. So let us see that light that's shining on your love, Lord God, that we may see that love that is shining on, that it changes us, that it rearranges us, that it brings us into this place where we truly trust you now, Lord God. And that we can then not only give of our time, but we can do it with the right heart set. That we can Trust you, Lord God, even with, uh, with our sacrifice, Lord God, our sacrifice of praise. Because we don't have to sacrifice animals like it was before. But the least that we can do is give you a, pray, a sacrifice of praise. And then even beyond that, Lord God, that we can trust you in, uh, with our, our offering, Lord God. That we can purpose in our heart, purpose to hear in our heart what thus saith the Lord. And not be worried about what our bills look like or what this looked like or what we trying to anticipate even months and years down the road that keeps us from giving, from hearing you, Lord God. And let last but not least, let not our own intent of our heart, Lord God, because we're looking for our own profit or, or our own benefit. Let that not sidetrack us. Or get us off track, Lord God. But let us be free to sow, Lord God, bountifully, that we may reap, and that the kingdom of God may reap bountifully. Lord, because your word goes on to say that you love a cheerful giver. And, the, and, 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 when, and because you love a cheerful giver and when we become a cheerful giver, Lord God, your word goes on to say in that same passage of scripture that you give seed to the sower. 
It says you give seed to the sower, not to those that, 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 that don't sow. So we won't see, Lord God, then let us understand that we need to be a sower. One that is hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying unto us and how it's leading and guiding us, Lord God. We thank you for your freedom that you've given us on this day. And all this in agreement, let us say amen, amen, and amen. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you are here today and, and you just know that God has spoken to your heart and you need help or encouragement on being able to do exactly what thus saith the Lord and to build that relationship and, and uh, you don't have to look to the left or to the right. It ain't about nobody else because one of the things that he said about this, that he spoke to every to mankind, male and female, and this is not even about your husband. See, because some of us think that, oh, uh, the husband or the wife, they, they in control of the, the finances. No, God wants to speak to your heart. Individually, this is an individual Walk so this ain't you, it can't be done through someone else. If that's you, stand on your feet and come forward so we can pray right now.